Hello and welcome to the Pal Mal Doughboys podcast, a War One history podcast keeping alive what is often called the Forgotten War. Coming to you from Sergeant Alvin C. York State Historic Park in Pal Mal, Tennessee, on the banks of the Wolf River. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host today, Park Manager Nate Dotson. Make your daddy glad to have had such a lad. All right, everybody, welcome to episode six of the Pow Mal Doughboys podcast. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, we've got a new series going with the podcast. Uh, starting with our last episode, we had uh, a special guest on, Gavin Abbott. We talked World War I singing, so if you haven't got the chance to listen to that one, check that out. Uh, but today, we have uh, another special guest, somebody that... Uh, uh, Owns the proud title of Doughboy of the Year from Sergeant Alvin C. York State Park, uh, and this uh, this gentleman has has been a mainstay at our events for the past few years, and uh, we're excited to have him on. But uh, everybody, welcome, Mr. Sam Reed. How you doing, Sam? I'm doing great. How about you, man? Doing well, doing well. Sitting here in Pall Mall, Tennessee. Uh, you're coming from us from Chattanooga, right? That's correct. All right. Yeah, this this is the cool thing is uh, all of you guys come from literally all over Tennessee, all over the country, and we all converge at, at Sergeant Alvin C. York State Park a couple, three times a year. And it's always so good to uh, to have you guys join us. But um, but just a little real quick, uh, Sam, just to kind of introduce you, what you do with us. Uh, Long time living historian, reenactor. Uh, ever since I've been coming to the site volunteering and then, you know, getting a job at the site, uh, you've been there at the events. And, uh, so I just wanted to, uh, I guess if you could tell everybody, uh, first off, you know, how you got into reenacting, uh, and then I guess specifically World War One reenacting. Well, I'll try to keep it in a nutshell. I go back to 1983 when I started as a seasonal naturalist with state parks. That was my entry into the system. And uh, as part of that is still going on today, uh, there's always a training session, the uh, uh, seasonal in-service, as we used to call it. And uh, that first one, that's where I met for the first time the late, great uh, Charlie Norville. And Charlie was giving a session on uh, using living history as an interpretive tool. And I was enraptured by by that whole uh, whole session and that right there, I, I blame Charlie Norville for me getting into this because uh, from then on, I went back to my park at Old Stone Fort and started uh, developing uh, not only a uh, non-costume with the archeological aspect of it and creating tools and demonstrating, but uh, we also had a civil war aspect uh, to that park as well. And I began over the next, that summer and the following summer that I was there putting together a, uh, uh, talk about the secondary interpretive theme of the park where you had the entire Army of the Cumberland encamped in, uh, in around that, uh, Manchester as well as within the park uh, for a couple of days on that Tullahoma campaign and yeah. brought that to life to the, uh, to the park visitor. And from there, it just is mushroomed on where I've covered just from the 1750s at Fort Loudon for years, uh, doing 1790s at Montgomery Bale State Park while I was there, and uh, ultimately then, this is probably the newest era I've ever been a part of, has been World War One, and there at Sergeant York. Yeah, what got you into War One? Was it just kind of a, a natural evolution of reenacting to that point? 
Well, actually, it was uh, I'd always been enamored with the the era and wanted to be a part of it. But in Tennessee, back in my when I was in my twenties, so we're talking back in the eighties, uh, there was no outlet for that unless you went right. way up into Pennsylvania or you know to some of those established sites. So uh, it always had to be on a back burner. You know, I, there was World War II stuff that you could do, but I, I just wasn't interested in that as much as I was the Great War. But, uh, you know, you fast forward to uh, 2016, I get a call from Jeff Wells. Who he and I go, let's just say we go back a few decades. Yeah, <laughs> I've known him for a while. Um, reached out to me and said, uh, Sammy, uh, if we outfitted you uh, with a full kit, would you come out and be part of the, the uh, Veterans Day uh, event? there in 2016 and there was a little pause on my end and he goes uh, did I mention there's going to be uh, working aircraft there and then I said <laughs> immediately okay I'm in <laughs> and so and I haven't looked back since okay so 2016 kind of the build up to the centennial that does seem yep. like the the instigator to a lot of folks getting into World War One. Uh, so that's awesome so 16 was your first event yes um, have your portrayals at these events changed over time uh, well, over that over these past few years oh yeah when i got there of course i you know i had no concept one if i was going to continue on because i mean let's face it i'm, I'm a little long in the tooth to pull off a doughboy and so uh, if i long you keep me in the periphery where i you could see a figure but uh you don't see how old i am you, when we can get away with it but uh what wound up happening as a lark getting ready, because I was really, it, it prompted me to really start doing some more reading again and revisiting that era and, and what we were trying to portray. Uh, I thought it would be kind of a neat idea to take pictures while I was there. And I reached into um, our camera collection, and this one actually my wife has had for years, but a little 19.8 Kodak Brownie camera that shoots 120, and so 120 is easy to get. So I decided, you know what? It's a working camera. I'll just, I'll just, while I'm there, I'll take pictures. It'll be mm -hmm. kind of fun. And then, as it turned out, you know, the we got some good images, and that led me to buy, looking for more cameras of the era, and uh, ultimately developing my current persona, which is a uh, U.S. Army Signal Corps uh, photographer. And, yes. And where I, you know, we started out where I was just walking around constantly interacting with the public taking images to the point where now we've got an established setup that we um, put on the schedule as part of the programs on that weekend so um, it, it's morphed and I feel comfortable there and I think I could pull that off with uh, having to explain my advanced years there you go well uh, yeah absolutely you know Sam I think uh, we could do an entire episode and I know you and I have talked about this on just your signal core uh, persona and portrayals uh, so I think we will try to do that in the future. Right. So we don't want to go too in depth with All it right. because we we'll want leave it to. There, uh, then for another time. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll leave it hanging there for people to come back and and hear some more. But uh, but yeah, it seems like you're. Uh, well, I've seen your Civil War era set up with photography, and so that mm -hmm. seemed like a pretty natural progression for you right. to get into Signal Corps. So that's that's really cool. But yes, we will uh, we'll go into depth in that because that is uh <laughs> that's a really interesting. Story setup that you have and uh, the photos that you've taken have have been pretty uh pretty cool so um so uh another really neat thing that it seems like this is sort of a new thing for you too sam um is 
per, the purchase of a Model T Ford. Oh, yeah. uh, could you tell us uh, what got you into Model T Fords? Well, talking with uh, doing a lot of my uh, family uh, history, especially when I was a ranger in my family's East Tennessee, and a lot of them had inter- uh, a hand in uh, with one agency or another working on building the North Stand project. And so my grandfather, my mother's uh, father, uh, when I would start talking to him about things, you know, uh, when I found out he worked for TVA, what he did, and I said, well, how did you get up there? And he says, well, I, I had an old secondhand Model T that I drove to work and cool. back every day. And now he was operating a farm at the time, and he lived in West Knox County, which uh, was Concord in his day. It's now Farragut. Um, and so from there to up to Anderson County to the uh, North Dam site, that's that's a bit of a pull back in the 30s, and especially to deal with the Model T. And he told me some great stories that I'm um, glad I recorded, uh, and I've got all that documented for any future generations. But uh, the one thing he never told me what it was the type he had and what year it was. And then we fast forward again, you know, here uh, recently after uh, we were settling mom's uh, estate, I found a, a box of her old photographs in which she's behind the wheel of that Model T. Cool. And so we got it identified and I recognized exactly on the farm where they were uh, yeah. from, from the years. But him having one is what really got me enamored with it even more so. Now I put together the models as a kid and so forth because I was kind of drawn to that era. And but uh, when uh, it got to the point where you know what this is possible, I can get one. I began looking for one and ultimately did. And I've been a proud owner and a very novice proud owner for about two and a half <laughs> years now. Okay. Well, and it's it's perfect, uh, you know, especially with your interest in that time period. It goes right along with that. And I feel like you're able to uh, each year you're kind of able to add a little bit more to your your persona. And now you've got a Model T on site, too. So that's uh, that's been really cool to see you, uh, you know, building that impression up, too. Well, you um, know, they say boys and their toys. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh so this is all kind of leading up, Sam, to uh, to the to the main point of this podcast episode. Um, you know, it was kind of setting the scene for your participation in a really cool program that we did uh, on November 11th of this past Veterans Day. Um, we told the story, or at least the uh, let me back up a little bit. The the theme of the Veterans Day event was Tennessee at War. So we were trying to tell. A, a sort of broader picture of of other Tennesseans that fought in the Great War, whether it was you know Red Cross nurses or we had uh, we had black uh, guys that had served in the armed forces that were even from this area, Fentress County, and so we were really trying to to cast a wide net and and look at Tennessee's experience in the war, and that led us to uh, the story of the attempt to kidnap the Kaiser. Uh, by a small group of Tennesseans, and we felt like, hey, we have got to include this in some way in the Veterans Day event, uh, especially with our theme. And uh, so started just kind of kicking around that idea of how how are we going to do this, in what what way. I felt like it was it was uh, an interesting enough story that we could make it a special program. 
and uh you know, my the wheels started turning and i felt like your uh your participation in it was going to be crucial just because of kind of all the things that we've already talked about you've been a long time volunteer with us you've got a, a spot on impression you've uh, you're a, a proud owner of a model t <laughs> these were all very important factors uh and so um so yeah me and you um got together early on what was that a month or two before the I event we, yeah i think you reached out to me like the end of august and yeah then, end of august and we talked about that and then you came out with uh with your model t and we we kind of explored the route and and mm-hmm. uh so we we really focused this program on not just a static um you know standing there talking about the story but uh we worked it out so that we had different stops throughout the park throughout mm-hmm. the area and uh, so the usage of a Model T was pretty crucial uh, and kind of goes along with the story. But um, I guess, Sam, could you give us sort of a, a, a kind of an overview of what happened with uh, with the Kidnap the Kaiser event? I mean, as you as you started uh, doing some research on it on your own, um, it's a pretty incredible story. Uh, if if you don't know anything about it, um I feel like, you know, you and I kind of delved into the story at the same time, but uh-huh. what, uh, what stood out to you about it? Well, I mean, just, uh, I liked the, your analogy. What, what an incredible screenplay it would make for a kind of a quirky history <laughs> comedy, uh, uh, that, uh, man, that was, uh, I guess you got, you know, got to understand that, uh, we, that we just finished a pretty horrific, albeit we were in there a very short period of time. But we, our men saw a lot of bad, bad stuff during right. that short, short uh, involvement uh, in the trenches and then on the offensive. But uh, here, that that hardened a lot of young boys, and I can see them uh, hardening these Tennessee boys, especially uh, what they've just gone through. And uh, to th- that set the stage for them to have what it, you know, the determination and quite frankly, a lot of sand to be able to, you know, go and do what they did and saw it almost and were almost successful. And I mean, it's just, I mean, to get within a a room away from their goal, uh, but then to come back and then, you know, the trip back, but what's it, you know, that's part one, part two that I really found amazing was the investigation and how comical that was with regard to, uh, a, a very, very law savvy. I mean, he was an attorney as well as a senator. He knew the law and knew the ambiguity ambiguity of the uh, of the uh, general right. orders and the in the manuals. Right. And so, and used it to his advantage in his defense. So that was, <laughs> I mean, that's what I just that right there. The court, you know, the investigative scene would be a great, you know, conclusion to a, a pretty good movie. I think. Absolutely, yeah. Well, um, me and uh, me and Sam uh, pulled basically from the same resource to really learn this story. So, any of the listeners out there, uh, this is something that you can find pretty easily. I th- I think uh, I downloaded it off of JSTOR. Um, but this story is uh, it's called the attempt to capture the Kaiser. It's in the Tennessee Historical Society. Uh, let's say it was published in um, in 1961, but it is. Uh, Colonel Luke Lee, a gentleman from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, he wrote his memoirs of this uh, 
kind of crazy adventure that him and seven other men took part in at the end of uh, at the end of World War One. It was in the winter time of 1919. They were based in uh, in Belgium. They were in Luxembourg area, and um, they decide uh, or they hear that that uh, the Kaiser Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany has abdicated his throne and fled to neutral Holland. So he knows that the allies are potentially going to be coming after him uh, and are, you know, uh, for good reason, uh, quite angry at him for dragging all these countries into the, into uh, this great world war. And so uh, he hides out in this neutral country that he feels like he'll be safe and protected um, which is uh, is exactly what happens. He he uh, takes shelter in a uh, it was a uh, 16th century castle, I think, mm. in uh, in this small village in Holland. And uh, Luke Lee finds out about his location, his whereabouts, and uh, comes up with this daring plan um, to kidnap this kaiser and take him to paris and and uh deposit him on the the doorstep of the peace conference and uh and give him over to woodrow wilson um you know sort of take matters into his own hands um so that's sort of the the premise of the the basics of the story but like sam said it's a it, it reads like a comedy the the way that these guys went about their trip um, the way that they secured their, you know, just getting their passports, getting their vehicles together, everything about it was, uh, was an adventure w amongst friends that, that really they had, they had seen, like you said, they had seen warfare. They were not afraid of anything. It seemed like, uh, but, uh, so, um, I guess Sam, can you give us an idea, uh, about some of the, uh, the high points on our program that we talked about, like, you know, st stop one uh, at the Holland border and uh, kind of on from there. Um, what, what kind of stood out to you about that part of the story? Well, it, it um, it's almost uh, captured without, you know, if you didn't have all the, you know, everybody, the spectators, which was the whole purpose of having this there. I mean, you could almost in the dark, we've got lanterns and we've got, uh, uh, German being spoken to to the group, and I mean, you almost get a little wow. That that what everybody in living history always hopes for is that little, that that brief half second of you're there. And right. I think we got it at that point. Um, and so uh, that uh, that uh, really stuck out my mind. Another thing that really still sticks with me. I mean, I, we were part of it. I didn't get to see it. Uh, one of the, the uh, uh, individuals who had had, uh, who were ticket holders for the, the event made some great images as well as some video uh, that who has since shared with, uh, with me. And I think you mm -hmm. as well. And uh, one of the, of us all spilling out of the, uh, from that first scene to get it into the cars and, uh, and cranking them up. And there's a great shot of us catching a moment of that. And that's all you see, uniformed uh, AEF soldiers jumping into two period-appropriate vehicles and cranking them up to get them started to, to, to start out. That was cool. I, I, that's what I really – I looked at that and thought, 
you know, I was just worried about the whole, the, the darn thing getting started, but <laughs> looking at what they were saying, we, we looked pretty good. And we, I think we captured another great moment there as well. Yeah, I think so too. I think, uh, to Sam, the um, the addition of the two period vehicles that we had for the program, we had uh, we had two Model Ts, one owned by yourself and uh, one owned by George Aiken. He had dropped it off a couple of weeks prior. Uh, and uh, for the purposes of our story, those that's the best vehicles we could do. They had, uh, from what I understand, they had a Cadillac uh, and a, a what was it, a Winton? A Winton, seven-passenger seven Winton. And, uh, okay. of course, the Cadillac was an eight-cylinder Cadillac, which was preferred by the Army. Right. Uh, and so it's a more reliable vehicle than the Winton was. Okay. Well, and, and that would, in which the story unfolds, it proves it's, you know, they, they got it. They, it had, what it, uh, ultimately happened, they kind of expected to happen, to break down, you know, right. because they were notorious for that. Right. Yeah. So they the the group as they're leaving out on this trip, they have a uh, a car breakdown on them on the side of the road. It uh it pauses them only briefly while they wait for another car to be brought up. And uh, we had uh, I wouldn't call it the exact same issue that they had, but can you tell us a little bit about our car troubles we had just prior to the uh, to the program start? Well, it's kind of funny, you know, that's another thing that uh, kind of uh, perplexed me for a moment, but uh, I guess my, I, I fondly call my Model T Lucy. And so Lucy must subscribe to method acting, seeing how she was portraying <laughs> the Winton. And the day before, it was like an hour or so before we were going to do our dress rehearsal, I was uh, taking some of the volunteers out on a, a drive around. You know, I'm not going to turn any, any of those folks down. They worked hard, and if that um, if they want to ride in the Model T, by God, I'm going to let them ride in Model T. And right. so when we started it, we had, everybody said it was a backfire. What it was is actually a muffler explosion because okay. we had a little, little pause in the ignition process and that will allow just enough gas to go down the, exa the exhaust uh, system and then ignite when you catch it, uh, when it, the engine finally catches to explode it. And so that happened, and I think it was heard in the trenches. Yeah, uh, I think we all hit the deck uh, when we heard that. <laughs> well, I noticed it was a little, it sounded a little uh, louder, and I'm going, well, wonderful. Let's get the, we've got the drive around. As I'm pulling back in, I saw what was left of the outer sleeve of the muffler laying on the ground. And so went over and retrieved it and got up under and looked, and I saw what was left, and so no wonder it's so loud. But now I'm worried. You know, I've got passengers in the back for the real thing coming up. I need to not have exhaust coming up through the floorboard. And so I happened to think we had a blacksmith demonstrator on the site. Uh, Bill, uh, you'll have to help me with his Bill last Maddox. name. Yes. And uh, I walked over with the, uh, the, the wrinkled, dented outer sleeve that had been blown <laughs> apart at its seam. And I handed it to him and said, is there any way you can straighten this out for me? And he didn't even blink. He took it from my hand and expertly hammered it smooth. And then even got it, got the original cylinder shape back. And it's all we needed was something to tie it back on with. And that's where you came in with the bailing wire. <laughs> and so we literally put it together with bailing wire. Yes, and, we it, did. And, it, and we got through the, got through the program. That's Show right. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. So that was just prior to our, our guest arriving for the Kidnap the Kaiser program. We uh, we set the scene, told them, you know, hey, the war is over. Here's these guys waiting uh, to be shipped home. And this is where they come up with that wild idea. 
we all load into the Model T's, uh, Lucy with her new uh, new fix there, and we hit the road. Our first stop being, as we mentioned, the the border of Holland. We get out, um, and they they uh, they presented a a pass that they had uh, secured from. A friend of Luke Lee's, he he was uh, notorious for sort of calling in favors, mm-hmm. it seemed like, and he had connections from his days as a U.S. senator. Seemed like he had connections all over the world, and uh, and he secures a, a basically a, a pass. They're allowed to do anything they'd like to do in in the country of uh, of Holland, and uh, so uh, the Model Ts pull out there. They uh, the border guards check their pass and then wave the the group on. Uh, the next stop was uh, was a pretty neat uh, moment too in the story. Um, in real life, the the group actually pick up a, uh, a just a, a young boy. Uh, he was a Dutch kid that came up and said, you know, hey, I'll be your interpreter. Take me as far as this town, and and I'll serve as your interpreter. And he said his English was, of course, very proficient. And he presents a report card with those <laughs> words, his English proficient. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Sam and and uh, others in the program just prior to, we were scratching our head. You know, how are we? There's no way we can pick up a kid. We can't leave a kid on the side of the road somewhere and pick him up, and he can, you know, be this Dutch Dutch interpreter. And uh, just so happened that we we already had a stop planned uh, on the route, um, just in front of uh, a person's house, a local person's house here in the valley. And uh, this this uh, this individual, she's she's got several kids, uh, and she volunteered one of her kids for the program. <laughs> and uh, so of course we we okayed it with mom, and uh, and okayed it with Sam for him to pick him up. And uh, they they pick up this guy. He's about what twelve or thirteen years old. I'll say so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and he joins us on the rest of the program as our as our Dutch interpreter. Uh, his name in real life was was Botter, and uh, the group of uh, AEF officers, I guess, not really potentially caring what his name was, uh, ended up just calling him Hans the rest of the trip. So we uh, we pick up Hans. What was that like pulling in front of the uh, the people's house there and and picking up a <laughs> picking up a twelve year old kid on the trip? Well, there we're we're on a dark road, you know, around the park country road and. That house, I have no idea how old it is, but it, it looked like it was uh, appropriate to the period of the tees. Mm-hmm. And here we are, a beautiful, you know, restored house there of the era. And we've got two tees pulling up right in front of it. And I'm that, going that is neat. We're all in the car, you know, in the car going, how cool is this? <laughs> uh, I think one of the, the best things I heard afterwards was... Uh, was uh landon the kid that rode along with us he asked the guys in the car you know where where are we going and uh, and they didn't know either the guys in the car they had no idea which uh which is very appropriate to the story as well uh for luke lee didn't tell the men what they were doing or where they were going mm-hmm. um on their journey so that leads us really to the next stop sam um, on the program, we stopped there at the Methodist Church uh, mm-hmm. on the Wolf River Loop Road. Uh, can you fill us in on what uh, what uh, speech you got from Luke Lee? Well, basically, you know, we we pull in and we pile out the the, the cars, and and the colonel gives his 
you know, comes clean with us to, to let us know why we're on this trip. I think a lot of the guys probably knew, uh, had an idea what we were doing in Holland. Uh, but uh, he, he officially comes out and, uh, and, and tells it. And it's a rather, rather an aspiring speech given by, by our, uh, our Luke Lee that night. Uh, <laughs> that, that uh, a.k.a. Uh, Gavin Abbott. Uh, but um, it was, uh, it was a, a pretty cool little, uh, little vignette uh, to be a part of and to listen and how we all gathered around afterwards with uh, trying to read that map uh, uh, by uh, headlamp light over there. But, but uh, I, I just kind of wondered that the house that was over next to the, where we were parked, I wonder what they're thinking when they're sitting, right. looking out their window. <laughs> Right. Yeah. They never, never know what the park is going to be up to, but, um, but no, that, that scene was, uh, was also true to the story. He, he pulled off on the side of the road. He, he uh, lines the men up and finally uh, tells them what the whole plan is. Uh, they're just a few miles away from this castle that the Kaiser had been, uh, had been, uh, I guess, hiding out in. And uh, he says, you know, I'll go on alone if I have to. But uh, but, you know, if I'm not going to think less of any man that doesn't join me, uh, of course, all the guys are enthusiastic. They're they're all um, they, I, we kind of talked about this at the beginning of our program, but they had uh, they had been brothers in arms in all these different battles uh, throughout the end of World War One. And, uh, you know, they weren't going to leave each other behind in any way, especially with such a, an exciting proposition as kidnapping the Kaiser. I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Sam, we left out from that site mm -hmm. and our last stop was, uh, was the York Bible school. If anybody's been to the park before it's on the Wolf River Loop Road and the Bible school served as our castle, uh, Count Bentick's castle there <laughs> in Holland. Uh, can you describe what, uh, what it was like pulling up to the castle? Well, of course there's no, you know, really no lights up there, uh, and uh, if there were anything in the, if you had any illumination inside the uh, the building, they weren't showing through the window. But we're we're just we're just illuminated with our headlamps coming in, right. you know, from the cars. And uh, uh, there again, for me driving the lead car into the into that point, I mean, it just uh, seeing the the guard there and being stopped and, and the interaction there was uh, was pretty cool. What I thought was even better was seeing. Back to our guest, who was uh, with the uh, with the, the the group of the audience, looking at what he videoed for us, and you know, right. seeing, I thought, man, okay, they had it. That looked pretty good. That that it, we achieved what I hope we would achieve visually as right. we were pulling in there. Uh, but uh, there again, almost get one of those moments. You know, here we hear the German being spoken, and then the interaction with the colonel in the back trying to illuminate is Sam Brown. Uh, to the guard <laughs> right. to show that he he is an officer and he needs to be there. And if you recall, you know we did the the, uh, the dress rehearsal the night before. Well, that was one of our little tweaks we had to do, right? Because uh, the kind of night we wanted to kind of build up the suspense. Here we are, we're coming in, and then we're still a distance away to give that perspective of, of distance. And then we stopped to interact with the border guard, and then. With uh, me fully loaded down, well, I think we, that night we had five people crammed in right. Lucy. Uh, we couldn't get moving up that hill. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we, we had to lighten the load and then move on up. And so we had to shorten our distance a little, as it were. 
yeah, but, the, uh, it still worked the, out well. Yeah, the dress rehearsal taught us a few things for yeah. the for the second showing that next night. So uh, that was actually Sam. Uh, one thing I was going to share was probably the coolest moment for me uh, during the program is uh, we had pulled ahead. Uh, yeah. So we had a, a group of. Uh, visitors um that had uh, were program attendees and and we had two of course modern minivans for these two groups of folks we had pulled ahead of the model t's and were parked at the bible school waiting on on the group to arrive and you, and we're up on a hillside above the the loop road and off in the distance you could kind of hear the little putter putter of the engines coming down the road and uh, and see the headlights and all the visitors just all lit up and they're like there they are here they come and uh, you could just slowly see see these vehicles going over these uh, this little country lane and uh, kind of feel that suspense uh, here they come what's going to happen next you know are they going to storm the castle with tire irons which was the original plan uh, and uh, and then so what we see next is uh, the the two vehicles roar in. Um, the, the men unload out of the vehicles and go inside. And uh, and from that point, we, we took the program over as interpreters and we're telling the folks what they're what what is transpiring inside the castle. Uh, of course, they're talking with the count demanding audience with the Kaiser. And uh, naturally, he's a little suspicious of what may be going on in the middle of the night. This group of guys show up unannounced <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, so it was at that point that, um, you know, things started getting a little tense and uh, Luke Lee realizes, hey, uh, we've been discovered. This is not going the way it was planned. Let's uh, cut our losses and go ahead <laughs> and get out of here. Uh, that's not before um, Captain Leland McPhail grabs uh, an, an ashtray in the library of this uh, of this castle. He slips it into his pocket and uh and doesn't say anything you know they they load back in the vehicles and and head out and uh i think without the the kidnapping of that ashtray i don't think we would be telling this story at all today because uh, it was actually the kaiser um in his complaints to the to the powers that be the u.s army he says you know this group of americans um surprised me in the middle of the night they made me nervous and they stole personal property of mine, an, an ashtray. And uh, so that, you know, prompts an investigation that you talked about. Uh, and uh, I found that pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> incredible. We wouldn't be talking about this if, if that uh, simple act of, uh, of, we'll call it American souvenir hunting. Because oh, absolutely. We know, we know that they love to do that, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that was such a business that uh, the French, you know, folks were doing making all kinds of ashtrays, uh, uh, umbrella stand, you know, out of spent uh, shell casings. Yep, right. You know, that, that uh, you know, that the, the Americans especially were just mad for. Some sort of a souvenir, I guess, to, to mark this big adventure that they have uh, just gone through and survived. Right. Uh, you know, going across thousands of miles of ocean to get there and have to do the same trip back. So, you know, they want, they want something to show, you know, tangible. And, right. Uh, so souvenirs are, are going to be a hot item for sure. Right. Absolutely. Well, uh, Sam. So like we've been describing, I was in a uh, 
I was in a uh, minivan for the this program, so I didn't quite get the same experience that, that uh, you and the other officers did in the Model Ts. Um, but I remember you kind of mentioning what it was like kind of driving down those those country roads at night in the Model Ts. What, what was the sort of spirit of the group as you guys oh. were puttering along? Well, you know, the majority of those guys, you know, here we got two uh, brass Model Ts, a 14 and a 16. Uh, were using, and I'd say about half of them had never been in one before. Mm-hmm. And so that excitement alone kept smiles on their face. Right. But uh, the, but uh, as we're driving along, if I did, if I heard it once, I heard it, uh, you know, a dozen times, man, this is so cool. This is so cool. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> driving down. And for me, this was the, the night before at the dress with Earl. So that's the first time I had ever driven that Model T in the dark. Oh, really? Yeah, and so that was uh, uh, had my you know my full attention you know making sure everything was going well there, and then you know especially after the uh, muffler incident, uh, you know I'll have to share this real quick. Yeah. While we were stopped at the border scene, and you know we've got the the, the Dutch guards are moving around, they've and they've ha- there's several uh, kerosene lanterns being used. Mm-hmm. And okay, I'm already, you know, a little bit uh, uh, concerned, you know, okay, did we, is that sleeve repair getting that exhaust beyond that back seat, you know, even though we're in an open car. But then suddenly I started seeing this heavy smoke that was wafting along the passenger side from, from the rear toward the front. And I'm getting a little panicky and I'm trying to hold my, you know, not get loud panicky about it. And I'm going, okay, where's the smoke coming from? You know, and I'm thinking, oh my God, is, is my floorboard catching on fire because of that right. muffler? And, uh, and I'm about ready to, right direct behind me was uh, um, Gavin playing Luke Lee. Mm-hmm. And at his feet is a fire extinguisher. And I was just about to tell him, get that fire extinguisher out right. and, uh, and empty the car. Then I saw the source. It was one of the lanterns had gone out and it was billowing smoke as the, as the Dutch guard was walking by. And so I you know, <laughs> wiped the little sweat off of my brow and gave it a big sigh of relief and said, okay, we're good. <laughs> so that it was, some unplanned excitement there. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so uh, that, I guess that was my motivation where I got my excitement for having to go through the border. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, well, it, it really is an incredible story. Um, like I say, if you get the chance, uh, people listening, you can, you can find some articles online. Uh, that article in the Tennessee Historical Society uh, quarterly is, is a great resource. Um, but, you know, ultimately, it's interesting because the, the plan failed. It was not a success. Um, you know, Luke Lee, as you mentioned, Sam, the the investigation is really he gets like a slap on the wrist. You know, that's about the extent of his uh, disciplinary action. Uh, and and without um, without the the theft of the ashtray, we we would not be talking about it. So. Uh, you know, I was really, there's a lot of lessons to take away from the, from the story. A lot of things to say, you know, um, I guess one of the biggest for me was, you know, the fact that, uh, Americans or these Tennessee boys, they're not afraid of, of this, uh, royalty at all. They're, 
they don't see anybody as being better than them. The Kaiser himself should should answer for his war crimes in their mind. And uh, as opposed to it seemed like European thought was, you know, these are this is royal families. We can't we are not even worthy to be in the same place as them. So that's one thing that really stuck out to me about it. But was there anything that you feel like that you took from the story as you were doing research or, or after the program? Well, it would have to be, you know, and we didn't, the audience didn't get to see this. You know, you were interpreting what was going on inside the the, uh, the castle, if you yes. will. Uh, but uh, in, in the real story here, we've got this young, adventure-seeking teenager wanting to, you know, tag along with these Americans and, and go and, and, and rub elbows potentially with royalty. Right. And so, you know, so obviously he is he's kind of, you know, he follows the royalty and he really is 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 uh, impressed by that. Right. And then when he finally gets in in the presence of a royal, a royal, uh, the count, if you will, uh, the, this royal personality, what does he do? He swoons and he passes <laughs> out. <laughs> and so when they probably really needed a Dutch interpreter the most, and it worked out because there was an English speaker there, but uh, as the story goes, the, the their Dutch interpreter who they're paying for craps out on them. <laughs> we take it back to the car by, right. uh, by Lieutenant Brown, <laughs> trying right. to get him recomposed. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. That was just seemed to be the, uh, that was the, uh, that, the outlook that, that they ran into, I think, all over Europe was, you know, hey, we're not we're not worthy to be in their presence where where Luke Lee and others, they're in there collecting souvenirs from the uh-huh. same people. So, uh, it was neat. Um, Sam, at the end of our program, we we did go through and uh, we told a little bit about uh, each uh, of the eight men involved in this uh, in this adventure and told what happened to them after the war, you know, what they do with the rest mm-hmm. of their lives. And uh, your portrayal was of uh, Sergeant Dan Riley, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yes. Uh, he was one of the uh, the automobile drivers. He was an auto mechanic and those kind of things. Uh, when you were looking into his story, was there anything that stood out to you, especially after the war? Did he uh, do anything sort of significant in your mind? Uh, uh, nothing that comes to mind because uh, I really didn't go into it that deep with him. Uh, and I really... You know, even uh, when we were talking about doing the podcast, it kind of spurred me on to want to find out, well, where did he wind up? You know, trying to find out where, you know, where his resting place is, especially. I mean, it was from Franklin, Tennessee, and I'm assuming that's uh, probably where he he didn't range far from there when he got back. Um, And I assume that's probably where where he he is today. Uh, But uh, I haven't confirmed that yet. Uh, well, I've got I've got some info here. Yeah, for, uh, certainly he he was born in Franklin, Tennessee, and died in Franklin, Tennessee in okay. 1953. So yeah, like you say, did not range far from there. And that seems to be uh, the case with with some of these guys. You know, they live, um, yeah, not not necessarily you know boring lives or anything, but they go back to to their normal way of mm-hmm. life, their jobs, and uh, and are pretty quickly forgotten about and uh, it's funny you know they were part of this much uh much grander event at one point in their lives that that would have certainly i think if it had actually worked out we would have known their names uh a lot a lot easier but um 
but yes, uh, so uh, I feel like the, I feel like uh, overall the program was a success. We were able to really tell the story in a pretty immersive way. Like you said, uh, a few times you know, we're painting that picture, and we really seem to achieve um, those images that we were thinking of. These cars mm-hmm. roaring by in the night. Mm-hmm. You're seeing the Dutch guards with their lanterns held high, you know, in the middle of the street. All these different things that were. Uh, you you can't just get those if you're hearing about it in a story or someone's lecturing on the event. You've got to be boots on the ground, mm-hmm. uh, walking around out there. And so that was where you came in so so much, Sam. Uh, and we appreciate you so much for uh, having Lucy out there, bringing Lucy, and and uh, couldn't have done it with, without her. Uh, so uh, that was great, Sam. Well, that and a uh, big thanks to uh, George Aiken for being Absolutely. so gracious as to lend the second vehicle uh, that, uh, and, and, and for them both to be period appropriate, be, uh, yes. for, you know, uh, having been uh, created during the war years. Absolutely. So, so that, that, that was uh, what made it uh, even extra special. Um, going from here Sam I know you and I have talked about this but we're hoping to uh, to go into a little bit more detail about this story in in a couple of different publications um, you uh, you've been writing an article if I'm not mistaken uh, yes, can I you have. tell us tell us a little bit about that well the one uh, of course the, this is testament to you know your your brainchild coming to fruition and being such a success that it, it moved me to want to write an article about it um, and uh, and uh, kind of prodded you said, "Hey, you, we, the Tennessee Conservation needs to have one of these as well." Yes. So, and uh, and I and I wound up going with. Uh, I belong to uh, a uh, a national organization, um, which George Aiken used to had been president of uh, last year, uh, the Multi Four Club of America. And they have a uh, publication, The Vintage Forward, and they're always interested in you know sharing Model T to anyone who is interested. And I think we did that that night. Uh, probably, I, you know, if I get one future Model T owner out of that, out of the group that rode around with them, you know, we did our job. But uh, I, I've crafted a, uh, a uh, and it's been accepted. So hopefully we'll see that in a few months time. But uh, an article uh, talking about the evening's program and interweaving the uh, the history that uh, that uh, uh, inspired this uh, this this wonderful immersive uh, as the old CBS program from the '60s. You are there kind right. of uh, you know uh, kind of uh, format because uh, they were. I mean, we we we've brought people took them on a little on a history uh, machine ride, uh, yeah. time machine ride, and. Uh, to, to see history, uh, you know, performed in front of them, and so that's that. Uh, I'm always always game and down for that. So, uh, well, with the with the uh, program, with the article uh, to tell our story, to shed even more light on the park and all the good stuff you guys are doing down there, um, you're going to get a national audience on that one. Yeah, it's an incredible story, and and uh, you know, like I say, we couldn't have done it without you, Sam. And you know, it's a big, uh, it was a big factor in uh, the uh, reception of your Doughboy of the Year award. We got to talk about that. 
uh, oh. every every year at the park we uh we like to highlight somebody that's helped us uh, in some unique way and and that was definitely sam with the with this program and then you know you've attended all of our uh exterior programs as well besides veterans day so well uh well deserved go boy well, of the year at sarge <laughs> uh you know anything i can do for the for the park i'm i'm gonna gonna try to do it so maybe hey. help you guys out well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for sharing your uh, sharing your experience of the Kidnap the Kaiser program uh, with us. And uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna have to go ahead and uh, reserve you for another podcast episode. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll talk Signal Corps stuff and, uh, and you know maybe go into more of your Model T experience if you'd like to. But um, but thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'll uh, I'll I'll end it with uh, a quote from Colonel Luke Lee about Sergeant Dan Riley, who uh, who Sam portrayed on the night of the kidnap the Kaiser. He said, uh, "My loyal soldier then, and my devoted friend today." Uh, in regards to Sergeant Dan Riley. So hey, that that applies to Sam for us here at the park. So, <laughs> so we appreciate you. You guys need to expand your horizons a little bit. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Sam. And, well, thanks uh, for having me. Absolutely. Hey, we'll uh, we'll sign off on this podcast episode today, but we will look forward to having you out again. Um, everybody, uh, we will be adding some more uh, interviews with some of the, the guys that join us at Veterans Day and other events throughout the year. So be looking for that. And uh, And until next time, Sam, thank you much. All right. Look forward to seeing you again. All right.